SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number three with guest Kent Teagles. Before we get started this evening, I wanted to mention I was at a software design review at Microsoft a few weeks ago and uh, met up with Wally McClure, who I hadn't met before, and I uh, had a great time spending time with Wally. He's uh, one of the ones responsible for the ASP.NET podcast, and I'd suggest you listen to that. And uh, so uh, here's a little hi from Wally. Hi, this is Wally McClure, you're listening to the SQL Down Under podcast. Our guest this evening is Kent Teagles. Uh, Kent's an enterprise architect for eSymbiosis Systems International, where he specializes in helping clients achieve the most from their Microsoft technology investments. He's also an instructor for Developmentor, teaching classes in database technologies, programming, and .NET. In 2004, he was recognized by Microsoft with um, an MVP status in SQL Server for his community involvement with SQL Server and .NET. He holds Microsoft certifications in database administration and systems engineering. Kent has contributed to books on data access programming and .NET and is well known as an industry speaker. He lives in Omaha, Nebraska, where he and his fiance enjoy making and drinking fine lagers. Uh, so welcome, Kent. Good day, Greg. Hi. Maybe if we could start by just uh, getting a little bit of a background as to how you came to be involved with SQL Server at all. Ah, well... You know, as as a uh, somebody that came essentially out of a web development background, I was looking for a good way to store lots and lots of data and interact with that data on the web. And uh, things like Oracle were easy to use, and things like MySQL were easy to use, but they didn't really have the, the best support on Windows platform. And when I made the transition to the Windows platform about eight years ago, I uh, needed a good way to support that. And well, there was SQL Server 6.5, and and all the wonder that, and, and uh, that's kind of where I got started with it. Well, Server 7 was obviously a huge step up, and, and now SQL 2000 is a great, great tool for us to use in that scenario. Mm. What, what were your thoughts on SQL Server to, uh, 6.5? Well, it was uh, it was better than 4.2. <laughs> uh, it was it was certainly better than some of the uh, some of the other technology choices I had at the time. Uh, there were there were enough limitations in it that when I saw what they were going to do with seven, that I was really excited about seven, and that's when I really became uh, extremely interested in SQL Server. Was really with seven. I I'd worked with four two and six five a little bit, but the the important things for me were being able to have fairly fairly good sized row sets, mm-hmm. being able to have a fairly rich data vocabulary data type vocabulary to work with. And those things were sorted there in 6.5, but they really just got better with 7. And, and now with 2000 and 2005, we really do have a pretty rich environment to work with. Mm-hmm. Actually, well, that brings us to the topic I was uh, hoping we'd actually cover this evening, which is actually XML uh, support in the database engine. And what I find a, a lot of developers, 
uh, and DBAs seem to have very little idea at all why uh, having direct support for XML in the database engine is useful at all. So what, what's your take on that? I think you make a pretty good point is that there's, there's a distinction between having XML supporting features and storing XML in a database. And, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of reasons that you want to do both. The, the primary reason that you want to have XML supporting features in a database is that it, you take advantage of all the things that SQL Server has to offer you. Rather than trying to bring all that data down to some mid-level client and lunge that into the XML you want, why not keep the, the abstraction of the data as close to the data as you can? That's, to me, that's one of the big reasons why I like 2000 so much. You have things like 4 queries that do the marshalling of that data out into an XML format to work with. Uh, and then you have things like annotated schema, which make writing for XML queries a little bit easier, a little bit uh, less involved, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. There's the ISAPI filter, where you can just directly call into SQL Server, invoke objects, and get XML back out. Uh, the, the, I guess if you look at everything in sort of the ex- extract, transform, and load method, we're really talking about extracting data out of SQL Server as, as just row sets, but instead of being traditional square row sets, we're just really talking about them being XML documents. So what is the big feature? What sort of things do you think uh, are suited well to being stored as XML in a database? Um, you know, that, that list is pretty short, I think. There are things that are uh, hard to reconstitute in document order. For example, it's pretty hard to shred a Word document, store it as a formalized form, and get it back out in the format which you put it back in. That's a really good use case for storing XML as XML in a database. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that things that just isn't efficient to try and shred, store, and reconstitute in the way you need it. However, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the of the point of view that says you should store everything as XML because I don't think that's very efficient. Yeah, I think I think it's one of the things the the pure object guys are sort of looking forward to now because they, they almost see uh, the, the database is just a place to throw objects into and uh, and XML is one mechanism for doing that. Right, and I think there's there's certain value in doing that. But the, the trade-off is then you can't really use as many of the features of SQL Server that you would want to. For example, it becomes much harder to to make highly efficient queries against the data that those objects represent. And then when you get into sort of the, I gotta update that data, you know, maybe you're storing customer objects. And that customer object is referenced in three or four hundred purchase orders and you change that customer's address. Well, do you go update three or four hundred XML instances or, you know, then that's the kind of thing that I think people will not really grok about using XML properly right off the bat, they'll get there. As soon as they've written that sort of system and then they've had to go back and do maintenance on it, they'll learn. Yeah. Actually, one I saw the other day where I I, uh, was doing some consulting work and I I thought it was an actual possible very obvious case. I think it's somewhere wherever you've got sort of a combination of structured and and semi-structured type data. The the example I'm thinking of, it was an organization that is holding details on relays that are used in power uh, substations and things like that. And what was kind of interesting is there's a whole lot of standard relational data in there. So things like 
you know, the ID for the relay, the manufacturer, the location, all that sort of thing. But then the problem they had is that they also wanted to store all the settings because these are highly programmable devices. And they wanted to store all the settings individually, not, not just as some sort of blob. Yet the, the question is, what do you do when every single relay has a different set of settings? And uh, in fact, one of the, uh, the partners uh, uh, that uh, we'd seen who'd gone out and proposed a solution had actually come back with a solution that involved thousands of tables, <laughs> where they actually had one table for each type of uh, relay that would be stored. And I, I just thought that was completely bizarre. So it, it sort of struck me as something that would be ideal, where you could literally put the settings in a column and you could still query them inside there. <laughs> You know, your, your other choice in a scenario like that is to use sort of a dictionary approach with open schema. Mm. Where you have the you have the some attribute name, some attribute of that relay, and you have its value stored to SQL variant. But I think by the time you get down to that, you're really not doing anything different than you're doing with XML anyway. So I would say that that's probably a pretty good fit. Mm. But that the the open schema approach is a good way to solve a lot of those types of problems and still use take advantage of, of a unique index or something like that if you need to. I think I would just, as, as sort of a DBA purist in a sense, I would, uh, anytime I see SQL variant, I get nervous because I never know what to expect from that. In, in fact, I, I always thought it was amusing that they sort of only recently added variant to SQL Server, yet uh, all the other languages have finally removed it. <laughs> Well, but I, I think if you think about how you, what you use SQL Server to store and how you use it, a variant type there is a problematic thing because you're you're always going to say I'm type safe, but then you have something that has a variable type per instance, and uh, from a normalization standpoint, that makes me nervous, you know, I, because I never really know what data is there. Mm. It's sort of it's sort of like having a having a null and a null too, if you will. Mm. Well, there's something there, I just can't tell you what it is. Yeah, I often, I must admit, I'm, uh, my personal take is that I, I, I just dislike uh, implicit type conversions immensely. That That's just a, I, I see them almost like some inherent evil. But uh, I think, in fact, the best example I give of that is I used it a class the other day. I said that, you know, in T-SQL, if somebody wrote something like customer.address equals three, then a, a human compiler looking at that knows there's something wrong. But the thing that intrigues me is that the things like the T-SQL compiler will take that and assume that the person just couldn't write three as a as a string. And uh, my guess is that's probably not what the problem was. It, it's probably, you know, they picked a wrong column or something else like that. And what, what worries me is it takes things like that and buries them, uh, you know, actually takes bugs and buries them where they're hard to find. Yeah, I think there's an awful lot of sense in the XML community that... Uh, schema is for validation only. Is not a way to schema is not necessarily used the way it really was intended, which is to describe the metadata up in a small document. And in the database world, we're very we're very comfortable with that concept of having schema describe the, the uh, sort of the type semantics of the data we're working with. Well, XML enough people shy away from schema because schema is so hard that they don't take advantage of. It. Yes, uh, it's. It's a kind of a no-win if you, if you have that attitude. So in terms of SQL Server 2000, so if you could just describe what support there is for XML already in SQL Server 2000. You know, I, I've always said that there's the big four. Uh, 
there's four XML queries, which is a great way to do aggregation of the results set into an XML document fragment. There's annotated schema, which is a, a great way to munch query results out into an XML format. And the, the two of those go hand in hand. The four XML queries, I'm writing a select statement. The annotated schemas, I write a, a data reduced schema file and let SQL Server generate a four XML query for me on the back end. Mm. So those, that's, those are the, the ones I use the most. Yeah, so for, for people not familiar with this, this is where we have, uh, in the case of a 4XML query, it's basically a select statement where we've put at the end of the statement uh, 4XML auto or 4XML raw or 4XML explicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, of those modes, I've, I've written enough explicits to know that I like raw and auto better. <laughs> yeah, uh, another, a couple of other things that I really like are the, uh, the ability to have an ASAPI filter that sits on the IIS side and I can pass queries to it and get results back. It kind of is, from an integration scenario, that's a pretty nice story. The only problem is, of course, it's IIS, and that brings a lot of baggage with it. Not so much technical baggage, but more political baggage, because people just have this wrong perception about how you use IIS, and it's riddled with nothing but security holes. Well, uh, it's pretty easy to keep it up, and uh, anyway, that's off topic. I, th- I think also, the, the probably the other problem there is that that also tends to cross the political divide where often there's a you know a DBA camp and there's also uh, uh, you know some sort of network administration camp and uh, and, and and that is a problem you know um, absolutely I mean I've seen that in just about every organization I've been in where the DBAs don't want IIS on the machine and the the, IIS, the infrastructure people are well, how does this really help us getting things done? And as a developer, you have to, to migrate those waters. Hmm. And there's a lot of sharks in those waters. <laughs> and I, think, I think probably the last of the, the big four that probably is is the thing that I'm happiest to see changing in SQL Server 2005 is open XML, where you can take an XML document, load it into memory, and start doing some shredding operations on it. So use it as a row set. So those those are the big four. You've got four XML queries, annotated schema, the SAPIPA package, and the open XML Yeah, so with um, open XML at the moment, this is the one where we call uh, we actually receive in SQL Server 2000, we receive it as a, a varchar, n varchar, or text or something, and then we call SP XML prepare document, and that builds like an in-memory structure that you then query with Open XML. So. Right, and well, I think that that model is, is is a great model for SQL Server 2000, given the given the constraints it had. What we really we're really looking at three very painful points with SQL Server 2000. There's no there's no data type that maps directly to XML. You, know, you have to store everything now as image or text or n text. It doesn't really give you any facilities for treating that data as anything other than a string, and I don't like that very much. And then there's just a general lack of plumbing fixtures. You know, if you're using XML and SQL Server 2000, and you want to send that down to a client. Uh, well, we were talking. I was talking a little bit about some pain points with SQL Server 2000 mm. and the lack of the data, lack of data type support. And, you know, right now, if you have to treat everything as a string, what have you really gained from using XML? And then there's some of the, the plumbing fixtures just really aren't there because you're having to chunk that XML down as you know, 8,000 byte strings, do something on the client side, put that back together, get it into an XML document to work with. 
uh, you know, granted, the web releases for .NET developers have been great because they gave you things like an execute XML reader. But for the ADO.NET or for the ADO developer, VB6 developer, XML is not easy to work with. When it's no. In, in fact, I, I saw a number of people kind of at the, the bleeding edge, I suppose you'd have to call them, trying to work with it from VB6 and, uh, and found it very, very difficult. Yeah, it, it wasn't very straightforward, and you really had to know that ADO object model pretty well, and you really had to know what you were doing with the DOM model. And even if you knew all that, you were still doing everything memory resident. And as soon as you started working with a 20 or a 30 meg XML instance, you really put some resources. So it was, well, it's a great model, and it's it's a certainly a good good way to get things done. SQL Server 2005 solves a lot of the problems we have with it. Makes it a lot less painful to work with things. In fact, look, that's probably a good point. To uh, we'll take a short break, and after the break, we'll come back and talk about the support in SQL Server 2005. Sounds good. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular... The first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. So welcome back from the break. Uh, so what uh, we might do first up, I'll just, Kent, I'll just get you to tell us a little bit about yourself so, so the listeners know about you. Well, I, you know, I, I guess I think I'm pretty much just your standard average kind of guy out here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I don't know, Greg, if you've ever been to Nebraska, but we, we definitely are the American version of the never-never. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of friends that are that are Star Wars fans, and I like to describe the area as being the Tatooine of America, because we are we are very centrally located. It's 500 miles to any, to any other major city. Uh, so it's, it's nice, and it's quiet. There's lots of, uh, lots of preset sky to look at. Very nice place to live, though. No, no crime to speak of, great schools. We're very happy here. Fabulous. And, uh, it's easy to make good beer here. So <laughs> we, have, we have great water, great water chemistry, so it's very easy to make beer here. Outstanding. And uh, you recently moved into a new house, you said? Yeah, <laughs> so we, we, moved, we, moved into, uh, we moved into a new house. We've got, we're located on a quarter acre of land now, and... Uh, Janelle is my fiance, and she got herself a self-propelled lawnmower, and she she keeps the grass short, and I burn the bird. <laughs> is 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 this one of the lawnmowers that uh, automatically works out where to mow, or do you sit there remote control wise? Uh, uh, no, she actually she actually gets out and pushes it, even though she's uh, she's just as much of a of a technical geek as I am. She still enjoys getting out and working out and doing those sorts of things. So we're we're not we don't have the high tech lawnmower, the robo mowers, no. Actually, yeah, the idea of a device sort of doing the rounds of the yard uh, all, all by itself with uh, high-speed blades does does worry me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's for us. You know, we're not we're not quite that uh, we're not quite that high tech. <laughs> 
That's great. But listen, anyway, so tell us, tell us what uh, is happening with XML in uh, SQL Server 2005. I think there's the, the biggest thing that we get in 2005 in terms of XML is that it becomes a native type. And we're able to work with it as a native type. And all the things that we would expect to be able to do with a native type we can do. Uh, we would make a request for it. We don't get back a, a bunch of 8,000 byte row sets. We, make, we want to do edits in place on it. We have methods for doing edits in place on it. We want to transform it to a row set. We have methods for doing that. That, to me, is, is one of the big things. Really, the, the other changes are what go away or what you don't really have to put up with anymore. You don't really have to put up with the SAPI filter living on top of IIS. They've changed a lot of the mechanics so that if you want to have SOAP-enabled SOAP web services talking to the XML, they're just there for you to work with. Who, who do you see that as suits? I, I see a lot of discussion about whether a SQL Server should become an application server or not. And I suppose the idea of exposing stored procs and things as web services is uh, one of the things that leads that discussion. Uh, where do you think that fits in? I think it's, I think it's an absolutely essential part of using SQL Server in a well-integrated scenario, kind of in the, the service-oriented architecture. But I think people really have to be careful with it not to get too carried away and put too much of the application logic in SQL Server. Uh, really, that gets you into, that really limits you as far as what you can do to what SQL Server can do in terms of scale up. But if you take the approach where you leave more of your application and your services logic on middle tier servers, you have a lot greater scope that you can scale out. Uh, so that's that's one of the reasons I don't, I'm not a big fan of that, but I'm a, a huge fan of Service Broker. Android Service Broker is, is turning SQL Server more and more into an application server. Pure yes, I must admit I'm, uh, I must chase up Roger Walter to get him on the show one night to uh, uh, to talk about Service Broker in particular. I think it's uh, I certainly find it a fascinating technology. There's there's a couple of uh, my cohorts at Developmentor I'd really recommend to Bob mm. and particularly Dan Sullivan. Uh, they're they're all very good about Service Broker and Niels Berglund has written some great tools for working with Service Broker on top of SQL Server 2005. Actually, was he the one, uh, was it Niels that was writing the, the GUI tool, uh, the SSB admin thing? Absolutely. Yeah. That, 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 is such, that is such a great tool to work with when you're trying to build service broker applications because, you know, right now the GUI for building service broker applications is either that or, uh, well, you, you pretty much have to know how to type. And if you don't know how to type well, you know, then you're not going to be able to use Management Studio to issue all the great cues and message types and contract types that you need to for it. So yes. I, I think Nils has done us a, a great service by having that tool. Yes, I noticed there was a, a new release he uh, put on his blog uh, the other day. I've downloaded it, but I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, so. To me, that's, to me, Service Broker is really the dark horse wonder of SQL Server 2005. And people people are either, either going to love fall in love with it and try and use it for everything, or they're going to completely ignore it and miss out on a great deal. It's just one of those things where you've got to find the right balance and the right use case for it. Yeah, and it, it's another one that takes great advantage of the new XML data type you were just mentioning. So that's right, in a, in a message type, you get to the messages are XML, and, and then it's up to you as to whether they're just well-formed or whether they uh, whether a schema applies and so on. So. Right. Right. Mm. So with the XML data type, so this means we can uh, 
We can declare variables of that type. We can build columns of that type. But importantly, the thing is we can query directly. Right. You can take, a, you can take an instance and actually get into it using a language called XQuery and get at its values in a, in a SQL-like way. But you don't, you don't have to you know, take it down to a string and work with all the strings. You know, basically, now the point is, as long as you know enough about XPath to be able to get some values out, you're ready to go. You can start using this to get values out of your XML, pass them back into the, pass them back into the uh, column query, the column T SQL query, and use them as values. And that's, that's really something we've lacked for a long time when we're working with XML and SQL Server. So for those that uh, for those that haven't looked at the xQuery uh, method, so first up, there's actually a, a query method, and that takes sort of XPath type syntax. So, could you give an example of the sort of thing you'd use that for? Well, you'd use query when you want, and I, pri I primarily use query to do full xQuery based queries, where I use the the for iterator to go through and say, give me all the nodes that fall on this pattern with these constraints, very much like we would with a where clause in SQL Server, order them up this way, and then use that to reshape XML from one schema to another or from one from one schema to a not to a not bound instance. Yeah. And so query is best for reshaping. Yeah, so the thing is it, it supports the XPath query directly, which is very much like a, a directory path for people that haven't sort of used that. Um, but in addition, you've also got these sort of flower syntax. The, what's it? For let you probably off the top of your head. Or? For let where return. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't think of what the O was. <laughs> yeah, order, order. Order. Okay. Yeah. And SQL Server doesn't support the let the let concept, and I really don't think that's that big of a loss. Mm. Uh, so it's 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 actually flower queries in flower. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, also in the in the xQuery suite, there there's an exists method. Yep, and you'd use that just like you would exist in or exist in SQL Server, where you say, does this XPath actually have some value on it, or does this xQuery actually return some value? And you'd use it the same way to to as a predicate to reduce the size of a a result set that you are working. Mm -hmm. In addition, there's the nodes method. Yeah, nodes is nodes is a curious creature because it doesn't it doesn't really fit well with the rest of the model of how do I extract data extract data out as XML. Its whole job is to take XML and return row sets out. So how how do you see that fitting in conjunction with OpenXML? Because I noticed one of the changes with OpenXML and SQL Server 2005 is they've changed the scoping of it, so it's it, it now only lasts for the batch because I know a lot of people had issues with memory consumption. Yeah. Well, that absolutely had to happen because of the, the memory issues. Nodes is a, I already have an XML instance in memory and I want to work with it, whereas OpenXML is, I have that XML someplace else and I want to work with it. So OpenXML is great when I don't already have an existing type instance of XML to work with. Nodes is, I have to have an instance of the XML to work with it to get it back to a row set. Now, another method I noticed in there was uh, modify. Yeah, there's, a, there's a, a lot of effort going on at the W3C just to get XQuery itself out of the door. XQuery is not a, a fully baked spec at this point. It's not a, a formalized spec yet. In fact, that's one thing I was going to ask you about was the, uh, I, I know in the material that we've been going through with the Ascend training, they talk about it as based upon a 
working draft. Mm-hmm. And w- what do you think is likely to change? Well, at this point, I think most of the parties that are participating in the process are not interested in making any more changes. They want to get this big done and out the door so that they can get the products they're building done and out the door too. And then they'll come back and fix up things. Like uh, where we were headed with this is there's no way with XQuery today to modify an instance of data. I can only really extract data out of it, but I can't do any transforming. Well, we need a way to, particularly with, with data we're storing in SQL Server, we need a way to be able to do transform on that data and change its values. That's that's really what the Microsoft's invention called XML DML is all about. And it gives us a nice way to to modify values within with inside of an XML instance. So there's you know, basically any operation that you think about doing with SQL Server, transact SQL today, inserts, updates, deletes, those are part of XML DML. The the language for it is a little bit different, but that's uh, that's I think it's a little cleaner when you start looking at it from an XML frame of mind. Yeah, with uh, that's right. With the modify method, we've got the sort of uh, insert, delete, and replace syntax. I, I I always had the feeling that was probably when we're talking about a working draft. That was that was probably the stuff that was at the the uh, the more bleeding end of it. Yeah, they, they they wanted to they wanted to address it at some level, but XQuery 2.0 will probably have more of the XML DML story in it. That's their 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 first cut is to get how do I efficiently query XML in a T-SQL like fashion in a, in a SQL like fashion where I'm doing set operations with an imperative language out the door first, and then come back and and give us the ability to go through and modify instances. Yeah, so. I suppose for those, again, that haven't seen it, uh, what these methods allow us to do is things like we can say select some column dot and then we can apply a behavior or, or a method to it, so dot query or whatever, and yeah, and, and search for and retrieve just the information out of the column that we want, which can then be efficiently searched for inside the database. Right. The, the, the canonical examples I give is I have, an, I have a Word document stored in a column, and I want, to get, I want to extract out some of the metadata about who the author is and how many words are in it. Well, that's, that really just boils down to a select statement where I go out and I do a query on that. I do a query to get that metadata out, and then I do a where uh, using the exist or using nodes to get some of the to get some matching values out of it. Now, really write some interesting queries with with all of this, but uh, <laughs> some interesting in terms of trying to figure out what exactly is going on with it. With as I use query reshape. With a traditional DBA hat on, uh, I would say, wouldn't these just be things that would be promotable properties that, that when I stored this data in a column, I would also have just extracted and stored those columns that I want to query by in addition, and then that would have been searched even more efficiently by the database? I think you could. I think you're, if your argument is that they're extractable properties, of course they are. If your answer is, or if your premise is that it's more efficient to extract them and put them someplace else. I, I tend to disagree with that because SQL Server 2005 gives you a full indexing vocabulary or gives you a full indexing, a full way of indexing that data and working with it in an extremely efficient manner. So yeah. I think if you actually sat down and used it and you compared it 
you find that it's just as it's not just as efficient, but it's getting close. And, and as SQL Server continues to evolve, that will become just as efficient going forward. Yeah, in fact, that very nicely leads us into uh, another of the new features, which is the XML uh, indexing. Uh, and uh, there are a number of different types of index. Right. There's two classes of index. There's a primary XML index. And once you have that in place on some data, there's a secondary secondary set of XML indices that you can put on it for path, property, and value. Uh, and those are, those are really good ways to tweak an index out. One of the things that I've found is the CTPs have been rolling out. As I would, used to say that the primary XML index didn't really give you that much value, and it was really the secondary indices that gave you the most query performance help. They have, in between the CTPs, they've really kicked up the performance from just a primary XML index. And now I think that's probably the primary way to improve query performance is to go with that, put a primary XML index on that column, and see if you get the performance that you want out of it, see if you get close, before you go to the overhead of putting on a secondary index. We uh, maybe should talk about the difference between those. So, yeah, the fact that we have a primary index and then we have different types of secondary indexes. So so what's the purpose of the primary index? Uh, the primary index is, is basically nothing more than a node mapper that says that this node is on a record that has this primary key value to it. A, a primary index requires there to be a cluster primary key on the table. So it's a convenient way to map where a node is in relationship to a table, or, in, or into a, basically into a page. So the retrieval of it is that much more efficient. The secondary ones are ones that the XQuery processor more uses to figure out where values are within that XML instance itself. And it basically becomes an instance, an index over the data inside of the XML instance that XQuery interprets interprets a little bit differently. It's basically more of a map internal to the document of what's going on inside that XML document, where the primary is more, how how does this document lay out in page memory? Yeah. And the secondary indexes are sort of optimized to answer different types of queries. Absolutely. Right. And there's a a good discussion of that, and I think in my blog and just about every place that you find information about about those queries and about those indices. Books Online has a very good perspective. We need one to use one. Yeah. No, that's great. So any, anything else uh, XML-wise in SQL Server 2005 that's of interest to you? I noticed they've made some substantial en- uh, enhancements to the standard for XML syntax. Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, how can I, how can I not how can I not heap praise on for XML path? I, I, well, usually when I'm teaching a class about it, this and I'm talking about 4XML explicit, I'll tell people that the, the, the greatest pain and greatest love you'll ever have with SQL Server 2005 and XML is writing a 4 explicit query because everything, you have to map everything into this, uh, into a, what's called a universal table and then a post uh, query process called the aggregator comes along and takes that universal table and spits it out as XML. Well, that's a very cumbersome process, and you wind up writing query upon query upon query and you query and unioning them all together to get get the result of the universal table. Uh, huh. And that becomes it's very easy to write several thousand lines of query when you really only are, need four or five, you know, forty or fifty lines. Well, that's what XML path is. It just says. 
for this XML, for this XPath, put everything on this particular XPath, you're good to go. You don't you don't have to specify a tag and a parent, and you don't have to union them all together. You just say this just goes on this XPath, and you're done. Yeah, I, I noticed. To me, it looked like they have now added as options into uh, what we can use with 4XML, uh, RAW, and Auto, uh, the things that you really commonly wanted to do, but you had to go to explicit to do it before, and it was very complex. Like generating elements instead of attributes, mm. being able to add a root, uh, root element so that you could have well-formed XML with a single root. Yep. All those things are, are, are improvements. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, also the I noticed the Open XML statement has improved a little bit as well, where uh, because we've now got an XML data type, it can take that as uh, the prepare document can take a, an XML type mm-hmm. incoming, and uh, I gather in the with statement for the Open XML, you can also use uh, XML columns there as well. Right. My my usual use case for that is, is I get it in as a single blob and put it into a type. And then I use nodes instead to do the shredding rather than using OpenXML. And I really think it's just a matter of which one you're more comfortable with. I'm more comfortable with nodes. It makes more sense to me than OpenXML does. In fact, uh, on our local uh, SQL Down Under mailing list, uh, there was one of the guys on there uh, about a month or so ago was having some significant memory issues uh, when working with uh, uh, OpenXML and by moving to using nodes, uh, it, it fixed all of his problems. Yeah, I remember watching that with uh, with with a great deal of interest because I wanted to see how that one resolved. Mm. I, I don't know if you have very many American subscribers on that mailing list, but boy, I learned stuff from that list, and I really would encourage people to subscribe to it. Yes, and it, it, yeah, we basically put it in place because uh, what, what tends to happen here is that the, the SQL Server normal public uh, news scripts and things are fabulous, but the uh, probably the, the problem with them, I, f- I find, is they're not as in-your-face uh, as probably what I'm, I'm trying to get at as a mailing list. And uh, I think the other thing is that what tends to happen, because they haven't been in our time zone, is that people tend to, like, uh, post a question and then 24 hours later get a response and you know it's a it's a very disjointed conversation where when you have a whole lot of people in the same similar time zone it, you can get a very rapid fire sort of discussion going on at times. I, I've had this conversation with Robert Scoble in the past and it's uh, the more localized the community the more the community the stronger the community is. So I was I was very happy to see that list pop up and I'm. Thankful that you allowed a, uh, allowed a yank from up over to subscribe. Oh no, ab- absolutely not. In fact, yeah, look, most of the people on it are uh, from Australia and New Zealand, but yes, more than happy to see uh, uh, anybody from anywhere uh, who w- wishes to contribute to the list take part. Yeah, in fact, it's it's grown really well. We're up to sort of many hundreds of people on the list now. It's it's. Uh, it's certainly uh, getting good traffic. We, we've uh, started having a bit of a discussion about coding standards. And uh, what, actually, uh, while I've got you, I'm going to ask you the religious question, and uh, that, or the one that causes religious debate. And uh, do you have a preference for singular or plural table names? Uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely in the plural, but then again, I'm an object guy. Okay. I tend to think of uh, tables as simply just collection of object attributes. So. Uh, that's that's probably why I'm contaminated in that sense. Yeah, well, actually, I uh, I, I thought it would make for an interesting debate, and uh, I thought I'd start with an easy one, which was table names. But I was uh, very quite surprised how quickly very very strong opinions came about. So. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's the, the amazing thing we live in is that everybody 
we can all be talking about the same thing, but we all have different views of it. And that's that's really to me one of the fascinating things about XML is that we're we're all communicating and we're we're giving the data a lot more semantic meaning, but we still have the problems of really what does that meaning mean? We have we have meta semantics to deal with. And that's something that has to there's there has to be a better way of dealing with meta semantics. That's gonna take a long time for that to happen. Yeah. Now, while we're finishing up talking about uh, what's new in SQL Server 2005, what, what about data integrity? You know, that's that's always sort of the issue that you hear people bring up about. Well, it's just XML. There's no way to to make sure that there's that the data integrity is good. And how do I deal with the relational integrity, the referential integrity of the data? Well, keep in mind that those are two very different issues. The, the is the data correct is very different than is the data repeated or is the data is the data that I expect to be in one table the data that uh, should be there to make sure that the data is correct and uh, to make sure that it has the right names the right element names the right data types SQL Server 2005 allows us to have these things called schema collections and these are XML schema collections where I create a schema collection, I put any number of namespace-specific XML schemas into it, and then any time data goes into an XML-type instance, it gets checked against that schema, and I know then that that data is always what I expect it to be. That's an extremely powerful feature. The referential integrity is, is a little harder story. You know, when, I, when I have a referential dependency on XML, today my answer is I do a computed column, that computed column uses the dot values method to extract out the value that I want to use as a key, and then I can use that as a key to relate to other tables. Yes, actually, dot value was another X query method, uh, method we didn't mention earlier, but it's it's used to extract a particular value once you know the path to it. Right, and then it promotes it to an appropriate SQL type. So I can promote a value to an integer, or I can promote it to a bar char max or whatever whatever its correct type is. And if I'm really in that schema-bound mode, I can't. It won't let me do any legal conversion. Uh, one of my favorite examples is to is I have a, uh, a suite of history data, and I have some dates in it that, that are for uh, 10 3 Well, Greg, how well does that map to uh, SQL date time? Mm. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, because SQL SQL Server doesn't allow date times before one one seven fifty three. Yes. In fact, uh, from our part of the world, discussions on date time are always uh, most entertaining. <laughs> because <laughs> we'll have to cover that sometime. <laughs> in, in fact, uh, Tibor Karazzi has a wonderful article on his uh, on his website called "The Ultimate Guide to the Date Time Data Type." I think it should be compulsory reading for everyone working with the product. Sounds like I've got. It sounds like I've got homework to do. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I think it's probably that uh, Tibor, uh, again, is living in a country where, uh, obviously, you know, the U.S. defaults aren't, aren't the way he lives. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah, that's always one of the challenges with the products is, uh, is, is how they're going to work in those different environments. But uh, on, on the topic of schemas, one of the questions that uh, I have come up in classes quite often is the idea of the fact that there's a schema collection associated with a column rather than just a schema. Right. And as so to why they've done that. Yeah. The, the big reason that they've done that is that you can do versioning with that. If you have, you want to 
want to evolve that data slowly over time, but you want to make sure that there's a way to validate the data as the schema changes. Well, just by simply by saying that new instances go into a new namespace, you can kind of do that. Another reason is to kind of get you into support for an open schema method, where that XML is storing. Maybe in one case it stores Word documents, or in another case it stores uh, documents coming out of open office, and where they have completely different schemas. But you want to be able to schematically. That's a that's a that's a reason why you would have multiple schemas in a collection. And you have to remember, it doesn't actually store them as schemas. It stores them as kind of in a rules engine way, where every schema element is broken down into an, into its own thing, and each of those rules then sort of becomes checked as you go along through it. So it's completely one of the things that just trips me out is that you can have two schemas with the same that apply to the same namespace in the schema collection, and if you serialize it back out, you get one schema back out because the nodes that uh, the nodes that match on a namespace are condensed into one single instance in the in the in the rule set table. Hmm. Interesting way to deal with the, with the problem. Yeah, so your take on that certainly isn't that people would tend to have wildly different schemas in the same collection. It would mostly be versioning. Uh, I think it's great for versioning. I think you could have data completely different schemas in the, in the collection. The more that you're the more that you're thinking in the open schema mindset, I think that's fine. There are just there are, there are reasons to do that. For example, I may be storing messages out of some integration process. Well, those messages, could, I could have 18 different types of messages coming out of that process, each of them with their own schema. Now, whether they're wildly different or not, I suppose that's subject to some, some debate, but they are different. Well, and I need to be able to store all of those messages because of the way I'm holding and working with that data. That's, that's one reason why I might do that. Okay. Well, so... Uh, I suppose there's probably that's m the main things that have changed with SQL Server 2005 with XML. But uh, can you tell us just what what else is happening in your world, Ken? What what's coming up? Uh, well, I'll be uh, in, in a few weeks. I'll be possibly going to Japan to teach an ADO class with developmentor. Uh, right now, I'm working on a very interesting project here at Eastmediosis where we're uh, we're writing some some .NET applications, and it looks like we might be able to use uh, Visual Studio 2005 and SQL Server 2005 to help automate some sales, some sales, uh, sales of some pretty high-end agricultural equipment. So that's that's pretty exciting. Uh, be at Pats, I'll be talking. Uh, I have a presentation I'm giving called the 15 Must Must Know Things About SQL Server 2005 XML, and that's sort of my it's sort of me burying my wounds to the world of, of things that I've messed up on or things that I've learned the hard way. So that's I'm looking forward to giving that one and, and having people laugh at some of the dumb things I've done. Uh, can't wait for Kimberly Tripp to be in there when I start talking about indexing. Re-education on indexing again or, or, uh, or Hillary, Hillary or Mr. Mr. Potter going to come in and give me a, a good education on full-text indexing because I've managed to do some Interesting things with full text indexing and XML Yes, actually, yes. Well, we had an interesting discussion with Hillary on the last show, and uh, I must admit, yes, Kim Tripp, I uh, managed to catch up with at the past conference in Munich and uh, attended a couple of her sessions on indexing. It was great fun. Uh, in fact, uh, so uh, she's, she's promised faithfully she'll come on the show and talk about that one day soon. 
the uh, the last trip I made up to the client site, it's about a two and a half hour drive for us to go to the client site. Uh, Hillary kept me, kept, Hillary and you kept me company on the way up there, and Kimberly and you kept me company on the way back. <laughs> great. It's great. It's great that you're doing this, and you just run them off to CD, and you got some instant entertainment. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you very much for taking part, Kent, and uh, we're certainly looking forward to the XML support in the new product. Look forward to coming back sometime in the future. Great. Thank you.